mindfulness mode. To do the work that's required to not react, right? To have that moment of, of clarity, of, of presence that allows us to choose rather than react. It's heroic stuff. Hello, Mindfulness Mode. It's great to have you with us, Mindful Tribe, once again. And today I am excited about my guest. My guest who helps to remove the obstacles that hold us back from being that person we're truly meant to be, from really stepping into our purpose and our power. This man is so passionate about helping people who give their power away for all the wrong reasons. And we're going to get into this. We're going to get into what some of those reasons are. I'm very, very excited to have Christian Della Huerta with us today. Christian, are you in mindfulness mode today? <laughs> uh, yes. It's, I, I always take a few minutes, five, 10 minutes right before a podcast or an important call um, and to center myself. I've learned the hard way. To, to do that. And, and thank you, Bruce. I'm, I'm not only am I in mindfulness mode, but I'm really happy to be here with you. Well, I feel like it is a funny question to ask someone like you, because I know you're in mindfulness mode. I, I know that without a doubt. What does mindfulness mean to you, Christian? Yeah, for me, mindfulness, I think it's about presence. I think, you know, I, I use them interchangeably. I use presence more than mindfulness. Um, but, you know, I think they're interchangeable. And to me, to be mindful, in order to be mindful, we have to be present. And, and, and there are a lot of layers about how we do that and how we learn to become present. Part of it is understanding the mind and how the mind works so that we can get underneath the, cra the crazy chatter of the monkey mind and access the deeper states of being that, that lie beyond where all the not, not only inner peace, but all the answers to all our questions. Yeah, yes. well, I've got so many questions to ask you because your book has has really helped a lot of people. And, and just by reading some of the reviews of your book and, and how people have been so transformed just makes me just want to spend so much time talking to you about this. And of course, I want to just share the name of your book right now. It's called Awakening the Soul of Power. And uh, this book is so powerful. I know that. Awakening the Soul of Power, Mindful Tribe. So yeah, one of my first questions is, let's talk about some of those obstacles that hold us back that I alluded to at the, the beginning why do some of these obstacles seem to grab a hold of us with such solid grip that we feel like we cannot move forward? Well, you know, as you know, because I was reading in your website too, 90% um, of stepping into our power, our purpose, success, whatever, whatever you want to fill in that, that blank with is mindset. So it's all in our mind, right? It's all the stuff that all the conditioning, all the 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 self-worth stuff, you know, all the all the conclusions we made when we were kids. And it's it's so tragic because none of it is true. We misheard something. One of our parents reacted in a moment of overwhelm and said something the wrong way. And we take it on. We personalize it, we individualize it. And then because it's so confrontational. Um, or maybe our parents got divorced when we were kids and, and we took it on. We, you know, we decided that it was our fault or we misinterpreted 
that it was our fault that how could mommy leave or how could daddy leave? Don't they love me? And what does it mean about if they don't love me? What does it say about me? But all this stuff is so intense, like especially for a young mind that we suppress it. Um, and we know that just because we suppress it, it doesn't go away. So it's been all that stuff has been festering under the surface of, of the consciousness and impacting in negative ways, our, our relationships, the quality of our lives. And so the first step, you know, in, in freeing ourselves is becoming self-aware, which is related to mindfulness, uh, related to presence. We've got to understand why we do the things we do and why we, we sabotage ourselves and our lives and our, and our professional life and our relationships. Um, and and again, the sad part is that we do most of this unconsciously. And and I think it was Carl Jung that said that the that the process of enlighten, enlightenment um, is making the unconscious conscious. Can you go back to a place in your life, Christian, when you did this to yourself? You were holding yourself back. You didn't know why. You just didn't quite know how to move forward. Was that ever part of your story? Oh my God, of course. Of course it was. Here's here's one example that just popped into mind. Um, I was a good student. I was I was very introverted and shy as a teenager. Um, and I was a really good student. I had a pretty much a 4.0 in, in high school and college. In high school, I had one B my last semester. Um, and I know I didn't set out to do this consciously, but looking back on it, I have no doubt. Like I know that I got that one B because it wasn't even a hard class. It was a self-directed self-study course that all I had to do was write a term paper. And I, I knew how to write term papers and I turned it in late. And that was enough to, for me to get a B. And I know that subconsciously I sabotaged my, my grade point average because at that point in my life, there was no way. There was just no way that I could have stood up in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people to deliver the, valedic the valedictorian speech. And so that's just an example of how powerful the mind is and how we, we, we it throws curveballs and, and sabotages our, our true desires and our true, our dreams and the quality of our lives. And, Flash forward because the story has a good ending because the, the point is that all this stuff can be healed. You know, these days I've spoken all over the world. I've spoken at conferences, universities, on the TEDx stage, bookstores, churches, on and on and on. And, and so no matter what happened in our lives when we were young, no matter, no matter even what happens going forward, um, we can all, all that stuff can be healed and it could be overcome. Do you remember the first retreat you ever did? And can you the tell us about it? Yeah, the one that you facilitated, the first retreat. Because I know now you do quite a few retreats. Sure, I remember. What was that like? Um, I mean, there was a part of me that was terrified. Yes. Just terrified. And, um, you know, my own, my own version of, of, of the imposter syndrome is like, do I know enough? Um, who do I think I am to be teaching people who were older than I was, you know, this yeah. was 30 years ago, Yeah, 30, couple years, 32, 30, so 33 years ago. Um, and yet all at the same time feeling, you know, called, it was like, I was definitely feeling called and I, 
and and yet I had to overcome that fear. And here's what I've learned. I didn't know this then, but here's what I've learned about fear that that might be helpful to someone um, in your audience: that the energy of fear in the body feels very, very similar, very close to the energy of excitement, anticipation. So if we are able to be present, if we're able to be mindful and notice that that energy when we're about to do something and we feel that energy that we all know what it feels like, if we're present, though, we can flip the switch and, and turn and, and focus on the excitement, the anticipation rather than the fearful part. So rather than like using that example, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? How, how can I possibly stand in, in front of a room of 5, 10, 100 people, whatever it is? Um, or it's like, oh my God, I wonder how this is going to turn out. How exciting. Like, like even, even if I don't do it perfectly, I know that I'm going to learn and I'm launching my, my, my career, my mission as, as a speaker, as a teacher is like, we can just reframe it and it helps to, to handle that, that energy of fear. Is Awakening the Soul of Power your first book? No, it's my second book. It's your the second. first book is titled Coming Out Spiritually. So what was the most challenging thing about sharing your message and awakening the soul of power? You know, that's a really good question, Bruce. I, I walk my talk. So I probably brewed, you know, that book was brewing in me for about 10 years. I'm sure. And part of it is like, yeah, I was, I was working with people in retreats around that theme of personal empowerment and women's empowerment specifically in, in some cases. Um, but it's stuff that I had to work out within myself too. Right? I had to, because I am authentic, because I walk my talk, I, I felt like I needed to really like be walking the talk when I, when I released this book. Um, and so that took a while and you know what, it actually, without minimizing the tragedy of, of the pandemic for me, it was a good thing because I went from sitting on an airplane a hundred thousand miles a year to zilch and, yeah. and that mandatory ma uh, timeout, a couple of things came from that. I finally birthed this book. I finally got it out of my head and onto the computer screen and then onto paper. Um, and that was, you know, that was priceless. I'm so grateful for that experience that I actually got to stop and drop in and, and get this book, the life that had been demanding inside of my head. Uh, the other thing that I, that I'm really grateful is that I'd known for years that I needed to develop virtual programming. You know, there are many, many people who are never going to come to one of my live weekend retreats. And so again, you know, my, my income came to a screeching halt overnight. I was in the middle of a retreat and I remember thinking this is the last retreat, who knows for how long. Um, and it forced me, you know, it forced my hand. I had to develop, you know, I've got a couple of programs now. One is a, is a year long coaching program. And there's another one that I'm launching now that's six weeks, a little bit shorter, more accessible. Right. Well, I'm just thinking, since your book went to print and you've had a chance to really think about this, is there any message that you wish you had have included in this book? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, I, nothing's popping up into mind, into my mind right now. Wow. That's great. So that's a really good question. I'll have to think about that. I hadn't thought about that. It hadn't come up. 
So if you were to write another book, what, what would the central theme be of that? Well, in fact, I'm about 50% done. It may be a little bit more, but this first book, Awakening the Soul of Power, is part of a series of three. Oh, the, the name of the series is Calling All, Hero, Calling All Heroes. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to live a heroic life in the 21st century? When we don't have the horse hitched outside and the armors and the demons to slay, except the ones in our own heads. Um, and so this, the second book is on relationship. It's like focused specifically on relationships because the more that I dive into this issue of empowerment and why we give our power away, I think the majority of us give it away in romantic, intimate relationships. And so that's why I want to give tools that I wish I would have had when, in, you know, when I started doing relationships. Well, this is fascinating. I'd like you to expand on that, how you feel that most of us give our power away in romantic relationships. So can you expand on that? Yeah. One of, one of the first questions that, you know, that I want to work with people or on this issue of personal empowerment, one of the first steps is becoming aware, becoming mindful um, about the patterns, right? The situations, the the type of relationships, type of people in our in our own lives where, where we tend to give our power away. So what triggers that giving our power away, selling out on our power? For a lot of people, it's authority figures, you know, maybe parental figures bosses, coaches, religious leaders, um, you know, any, anybody who has that, that statusy kind of hierarchical thing. Uh, and for a lot of us, it's personal relationships where, you know, the romantic, intimate, sexual relationships where so much of our like deepest core issues get triggered. And so we, we, that part of our mind, you know, the ego mind that, that we were kind of alluding to earlier takes things personally and takes rejection or if a relationship doesn't work out, it internalizes it. And, and, and especially if we already have that wound in the subconscious, like if, you know, if one of our, our parents left and we carry abandonment issues and underneath the abandonment issues, what, what's down there is self-worth. It's like, wow, how could they do that? Or aren't I lovable? Don't I count? Don't I matter? And, and again, not true, just misunderstandings of young minds that didn't know any better. Uh, but the sad part, uh, the tragic part is that we've allowed this misunderstandings to run our lives and to impact our choices uh, about whether we get in a relationship or not, or what kind of relationship is a relationship a match? Um, is it, is it, you know, that's one of the ways in which we sell out on our power is we settle, we settle for crumbs. Um, of, of pseudo love. Uh, we override our, our deepest feelings, our, our desires, our dreams uh, for this fear of rejection. Um, and, and we settle for this illusion of security and for a false sense of acceptance. So, so it's not a good strategy, uh, this of giving our power away. No, not a good strategy, but a lot of us do it certainly without even knowing it's in the subconscious yes. mind and we can be in that relationship for years and years and years and still not realize that that's yeah. what we've done yeah and that's sometimes we do it can... even before the get-go yeah by by attracting uh by falling for people who are not a match 
people who are and doesn't mean we're better doesn't mean we're worse uh they're they're not a match they're just somewhere else it's not a match for in terms of values where we are in life what we want from life uh what kind of relationship we want to have the level of the relationship um, and so we end up settling um you know because we fear being alone um and we make choices like, well, I better hold on to this one because I may not be able to find somebody else uh, who would be with me. But at the core of those kind of beliefs, it's this really poor way of holding ourselves and valuing ourselves and respecting ourselves. And 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 as you know, you know, the power of the mind, if, if that's how we hold ourselves, that's the only thing we're going to attract is whatever matches that level, whatever reflects that back to us. Um, so... And, and, and in some cases, you know, it's like, so I know sometimes it feels like when we find ourselves in relationships, it feels like this is the same boring movie I've seen before. Like I've seen this movie before. It's, it's maybe with a different co-lead, a different actor, but the same old crap, same old boring patterns, same old boring arguments, same old crap, just with a different actor. And, and so at some point, we have to get real with ourselves and look inside and ask ourselves the hard questions, you know, and, that, and that's why it's heroic because this stuff is not easy. It's infinitely worthwhile because the, the possibilities that come from that is freedom and relationships that have a chance of working. But we've got to get real and ask ourselves, you know what? The truth is that there is one common denominator in every one of these relationships, in every one of these arguments. And it's right here. And so why do I do that? Why do we attract certain people? Why do we keep recreating these old patterns of behaviors? Um, and and it's work. And sometimes we get to face stuff that, that's not pleasant to face, but it's, again, infinitely worthwhile. Well, some of us have a very, very strong attachment to commitment and once you get in a relationship, it's like, okay, I've made a commitment to this and I'm not going anywhere. It's just, I've made this commitment, that's the end of it. What do you suggest for those people when they've made that commitment that is so steadfast for them? You know, we don't, I don't have a problem with, with I think we all get to make those choices for ourselves, you know, about monogamy, about what it means to have a relationship work as long so so make the choices for yourself but make them from a place of clarity not because of some uncondi some conditioned um belief that we've taken on from our parents and their parents before them and their parents before that from the culture from religion right. from society that we haven't even analyzed we haven't even been willing to question why we believe the things we do so, and to me, that's part of the mindfulness process is becoming mindful, becoming present, aware of why we even believe the things that we believe. And, and again, it takes work. Um, it's not for wimps. But Definitely not. It is so worthwhile. Because it's, so then, sure, you've, you've gone into it and you've asked yourself why you believe the things you do. Sure, make whatever choices you want. Um, here are a couple of thoughts about that to consider in that process. It's like, who said that a relationship has to be till death do us part in order for it to be successful? It's like, wait a minute. Are you telling me how many, how many relationships do we know 
where the partners are miserable. The kids are miserable because their parents are, are attached and, and holding on, whether it's fear because it's conditioning, because it's some religious belief, who knows? Um, but it's worse. It's worse for everybody. Um, and, and it's not good modeling for the kids. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not suggesting one way or the other. I'm just suggesting that you go within and ask yourself. Like for me, that's not a valid reason to stay together. Um, and you, then you might ask, how do we know? You know, how long to stay? Because if we can't really go by the ups and the downs, right? because every relationship is going to have ups and downs. And, and most of us then want to bail when we're navigating a rough, rough time. But sometimes that's when juicy stuff is happening. That's when stuff is being worked out um, and growth is happening. So that's my measurement, right? If I can't go by the feeling, um, how do I know? And, and for me, my measurement is, is growth happening. And, and, like, I mean, I have one relationship, which is the one that I, that I kind of reference the most for, for these teachings that I, that I now write about on teaching my relationships retreats and, and my coaching programs. And we had an agreement from day one that if at any point that the container of the relationship began to interfere with my growth or his growth, that that would be the point. That would be the point to move on. And sure enough, you know, it's like I got clear about that. We We spoke about it. It was it was sad because the love hadn't died. You know, the love doesn't have to die, right? The 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 container of the relationship, the form changes, right? But we're still friends, and we're just not, you know, lovers in the way that we were. Uh, but it's like my second family, and um, so the love continues. The form of the relationship can change and evolve. One of the things you talk about is when we push people down in order to prop ourselves up. And of course, that's pretty common as you look around. So how do we move through that and to the other side if we identify that in ourselves? Yeah, that's a really good question, Ted. So let me zoom out and, and give a little bit of context. I think most of us... Um, because I always has, hesitate to say all, but let's say most, um, struggle with issues around power. Part of us wants it. Part of us is afraid of it. And I think some of the stuff that we've been talking about is what we fear. We fear that if we really stepped into our power, if we really stepped into all of who we are, fulfilled our potential, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it, that we might end up rejected alone and no fun. Who wants that? I think we fear that we might also abuse it. And, and no wonder how many abuses of power have each one of us witnessed in our lifetimes. And all we got to do is any given day, turn on the news to witness at least one abuse of power. And, and then we, on top of that, we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted? But what they didn't tell us about that quote is that Lord Acton, who spoke those words, was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power. And so when you put all that into the mix and add to the mix, the fact that we've been conditioned to, we've turned the emotions into weakness. 
We hate conflict. We avoid confrontation. When you put all that together, what happens is that we, we give away our power, our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us. No one can take away. We are the only ones who give it away. And, and the sad part is the reasons that we were talking about, the reasons for which we give it away. Um, you know, we say yes when inside it's really not okay with us. It's really a no. But in order to avoid conflict, to not rock the boat too much, right? We override our true feelings. We override our own, we're like, we like boundaries. Um, and it's all based on fear. Um, and so it's not a good strategy because every time we do that, a couple of things are happening. We're, we're losing, mostly we're losing credibility with ourselves. And, and that's not a good move because everything stems from, from our own self-perception, the way that we see ourselves. And if we start doubting who we are and doubting our own word, it's, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's just like, it starts getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and, and so... Conversely, every time that we override that fear of rejection or, or, or the fear, that tendency to want to give our power away, to settle, to play small, um, we strengthen that inner core, that, that self-worth, that, that self-confidence. Uh, we're building it. Um, and so I talk about how there is a way to step into power. That's not about hierarchy. That's not about control. It's not about fear. It's not about force. It's not about pushing anybody down and stepping on them in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. And, and so that's what this book is about. How do we do that in a way that it's, that it's a natural expression of who we are? And that doesn't require that we abuse anybody. Um, and so I talk about two different kinds of power. Uh, one is worldly power or ego power that the way that the world relates to power, which for most of us, you know, we associate with people who have money who are famous or high up some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the corporate ladder or some other institution. The thing about all those kinds of powers is that they're external. They're outside of us. So by definition, they're fickle. Mm. Here today, gone tomorrow. That kind of power is also always has an agenda. It's always trying to grab something for itself. And, and it's always self-aggrandizing, like blowing itself up to, to seem bigger than it is and more powerful than it is. In contrast with what I call spiritual power or soulful power, which is humble. It doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And it's about service. It's about making a difference. And so I think of a, of a Gandhi or a Gandalf, if you're into the Lord of the Rings, in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet, from looking at them from the outside, we'd never know how much power they hold until it's needed. And then get out of the way. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees at the time when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach and global influence. And he did that without ever shooting a gun or landing a single punch. That's power. It really is. Yeah. Absolutely. Power. I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. And I always ask a question about this on my show because I feel it's very closely related to mindfulness in a lot of ways. Do you have a story you can share where, well, something about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? <laughs> 
Sure. Um, I can, I'll share the story that I actually shared in the book, uh, because bullying is, is one of the, you know, what I call the unhealthy expressions of power. Yeah. Um, ways that we use that we think are powerful, but are not effective. They're actually overcompensations for, um, uh, so, so for, for example, you know, I talk about revenge, you know, as, as a power technique, uh, or playing the victim, you know, the victim playing the victim role, which works like, cause I can say, Oh God, honey, I, I feel so bad. Can you get that for me? So we, we can make it work. We can work it. We can get what we want from it, but at what price? Right. Well, how do we have to feel and, and, and how much power are we giving away in, in, in utilizing these, these power techniques? Bullying is an expression of that. And I talk about the U.S. as, a, as an example of that, you know, that after 9-11 uh, with, you know, we had the entire goodwill of the world. Like the entire world was on our side because this was, this was such a shocking, unimaginable affront. Um, and so we had a choice point, like, like, how do we express power? And, and what do we do? Right. We abused it. We bullied. Um, and nobody likes a bully. Um, and, and we went and invaded a country that we had no business invading. And we're still paying the price for doing that. Um, you know, 20 years later or 30 years later, however long it's been, I guess 20 something years later, um, from a personal perspective, I, I, t I share a story when I was in 10th grade and I had just started a new school um, that was, you know, all boys and it was a Catholic school, it was a Jesuit school. So I was going through, you know, like the difficult times that kids go through, feeling accepted, not but wanting to belong. Um, who am I? All that kind of stuff. And there was a kid in my class that everybody bullied, bullied and, and, not in a mean way. I mean, not, I mean, not in a bad way. Like it wasn't like physical bullying, but it was like mind, mind games. And, and, and I remember that one time that was a little scary how easily this flow, this poem flowed out of me. Um, and it was owed to um, meat pie was the, the guy's nickname because every at break, he would always have a meat pie. Um, and, and he had a role in this, right? Like he, his approach to getting accepted in high school was to kind of kiss butt and, and he would kiss all the teachers and all the students' butts. And so it was, it's, I can see why he was bullied. But the point of the story is that I, that I saw, I mean, compared to what other people were doing, it was like, it was nothing. But, it, but, but still, like, I, I learned my lesson from that because what I learned about bullying is that, that, that there was a part of me that didn't feel accepted, that didn't feel good about myself. Uh, because I was struggling with issues of of deep existential questions questions of who am I and and do I belong in this religion in which I was raised where I had this part of me that I wanted to serve the sacred I wanted to serve God as I understood it then um, and yet in a religion that told me that I was going to burn in hell for eternity for being who I am and so rather than than deal with those difficult painful emotions it was easier to focus on somebody else. Um, and I think that's what a lot, a lot of bullying has to do with. It's sort of a displacement of, of negative feelings for ourselves um, and then finding somebody who's weaker. Um, and to, like, like sure, that poem, you know, my, my status, my social, social status in the classroom went up. Mm -hmm. Was it worth it? Of course not. 
and, and I wish I could make amends to, to the kid. Um, who's no longer a kid, obviously, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that in telling the story that, that, um, I'm helping other people. Yeah, and I'm sure you are. No doubt about that, Christian. Christian, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30-second answers are perfect. First one is this. Who's one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Hmm. Well, you know, I lived in, in Northern California, so we're blessed that there's a lot of... I used to be not far from um, Spirit Rock Retreat Center. Um, I used to drive by, by Canfield's house all the time. Um, so I would say that's one influence. All right. And number two is about emotions. And my question is about how mindfulness has changed how you deal with your emotions, how you perceive your emotions. In 30 seconds? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's made all the difference. Right? Mindfulness, that ability to be present and to observe myself um, makes it a lot easier to, to not react. Right? And, and for most of us, when we meditate, it's going to be boring. Right? For me, it's boring most of the time. Once in a while, we have a great moment of no mind of, or bliss or, or belonging. But the benefit of doing that practice, even when it's just boring, counting our breath or, or repeating a mantra, whatever it is, that's the practice. Like so that's sort of like learning how to dribble so we can play at the at the basketball basketball finals, um, or learning the the piano chord so that we can do a concert delivery. Because it's that ability. Oh wow, there I there I go. I was thinking, doing my do do list. Oh there it is. Oh wow, I was rehashing the argument I had with my boss yesterday. Back to the breath. Back to the the mantra. It's that boring practice that comes in helpful when we get triggered, and all we need is that moment. Like that moment of presence, that moment of mindfulness is, oh, whoa, that one hurt. Ooh, that triggered me. And then that brings choice back into the equation. Like then how do I want to respond to this? Rather than just that old boring react and then regret. Right. Christian, let's talk about breathing and how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. It's all about the breath. The breath is at the core of every meditation practice and most spiritual traditions um and 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 so i mean there's so that's also impossible to answer in 30 questions in 30 seconds but let's just think about this example we're stuck in traffic or, or we're a, we're we're in a conversation that's starting to escalate and kind of hitting and go about to go, go south into an argument that's the moment to use the breath right that's the moment to there's swamis in India that have that much control over their bodies that they can tell their hearts to slow down, and they will. Most of us are never going to get there. Uh, but every one of us can slow down the breath. Every one of us. And, and so when we slow down the breath, the heart has no choice but to, but to relax. It has to. And, and, and when the heart begins to relax, then the body begins to quiet down. And then we begin to, to the nervous system begins to, to quiet down as well. And then we can make a choice again about how we show up because we're talking about empowerment. So we're not talking about, about suppressing our, our emotions. We're not talking about becoming doormats. We're talking about bringing choice and using our, um, our being able to communicate our emotions responsibly. 
Uh, the emotions aren't good. They're not bad. They're neutral. They're energy. What used to be spiritual teaching, that everything, that everything is energy, now we know. From quantum physics, it's all energy, including the body and the emotions. And, and the problem that we have with, the, with suppressing the emotions is that they don't go away, right? We can't sweep them under the rug. They start festering or they continue festering um, under the surface. And then the next unfortunate one comes and says something to us the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption because we can't stuff that stuff anymore down, stuff it down anymore. Um, or that energy has to come out one way or another and it starts showing up as, as physical symptoms, illness, heart attacks, ulcers, um, cancer. So we've got to we've got to get our relationship to power and our relationship to our emotions uh, clear. Yeah, well said. My next question is about a book. In your book, I highly recommend "Awakening the Soul of Power." Are there any other books you recommend that are related to mindfulness? Mm. I mean, there's there's always wherever you go that you are. Um, one of the books that I that's, I guess yeah, it is related to mindfulness. Um, because mindfulness to me um, is in, I mean, inseparably connected to how we see ourselves. Um, and so there's a short book, it's called The Universe is a Green Dragon. It's by Brian Swim, a cosmologist, a physicist, um, but written in Socratic dialogue. You know, it's like a dialogue between teacher and student. And so... As a cosmologist, he applies some of the principles that govern the cosmos to the human experience because much to the surprise of some humans, we're part of the cosmos. So we're going to be ruled by the exact same laws that govern the stars. And so he talks about, he does it in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, he talks about, for example, cosmic generosity. And he brings up the example of a, of a supernova that when it gives up its life when it blows up what happens right galaxies stars suns moons are are born be, be from that ultimate act of generosity and so he talks about how this isn't pretty poetic you know california woo woo stuff this is like scientific fact more than 99.99 percent .99 of the atoms in our bodies are exactly the atoms that the stars are made of so that we can literally say that we are star beings. We are made of star stuff. Um, and I'm weaving in some of my own words into, into his concept. Um, so, but he, so that means that we too have that cosmic generosity wired, hardwired into who we are. So we have that desire to give ourselves away. Um, and I find that such a, such a beautiful way of thinking, thinking about it. Totally. And that sounds like a fascinating book. I want to check that out. No one on the show has ever recommended that before. The universe is a green dragon. It's a green dragon. Yeah, very cool. My last question is about an app. And if you recommend one or know of an app that can help with mindfulness in any way, what would your suggestion be? I mean, I think there's several good ones. Um, I know people involved with uh, you know, the production team and Insight Timer. Uh, so I feel some some connection with them. Um, there's a, a newer one that's called Breathwork without the O. So WRK. Mm -hmm. um, that's real simple. You know, I just you, you have it on in the in the back of your in your on your phone, and 
at random moments throughout the day, it'll send you a reminder to take a breath. Um, and to me, that's even that simple act. If you just pause what we're doing and take a breath, that's the part of the process of becoming more mindful. Yeah, it truly is. Well, thank you for all of those answers. And I really am so grateful to have you on the show. And as we wrap up, I just want to ask you if you have any final words of advice for our listeners. I would say just do it, you know, be willing to do the work um, of, of it's heroic, you know, it's to, to look at ourselves, to face ourselves, to, uh, to ask the hard questions of why we do the things we do. Why do we create these patterns? Where do I give my power away? Um, it's work. It's, it's heroic work to, to, to do the work that's required to not react, right? To have that moment of, of clarity, of, of presence that allows us to choose rather than react. It's heroic stuff. Um, and it is so worthwhile, right? Because we can have, we can, I mean, that's the sense of inner acceptance of, of love, of self-love. Um, and I know what I'm talking about, by the way, is I do walk my talk. I know self-doubt. I know self-hatred. My entire adolescence was one long depression. And, and flash forward to today, no matter what happens, whether, no matter the details, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, whether a project succeeds or it fails, never, ever do I question my sense of self. So my self-worth is unshakable. And I know that if that can happen in me, it can happen in anybody's life. So do the work. It's worth it. And thank you. Uh, before we, we wrap it up, thank you, uh, Bruce, for having me on the show. And um, I love the conversation and the depth of your of your questions and um, thanks for having the show too, because in, in your willingness to do that, so many lives are being touched. Thank you so much, Christian. The website is soulfulpower.com. The book is Awakening the Soul of Power. Thank you once more for being on the show and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Yeah. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, once again, thank you for listening to the show, for being a, a faithful subscriber. I appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed, I really would appreciate that. Just hit subscribe. And, and even if you want to do something over and above, if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing and so much appreciated. And today I want to mention Grammarly. I do quite a bit of writing and Grammarly does help me by quickly pointing out spelling or grammatical errors. I can write faster and more accurately using this. And you can get started for free by using my uh, affiliate link. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A. R-L-Y. And uh, I just find it's awesome because it, it works across different platforms, like on my desktop, it works on my phone, works on apps and social media. It's really helpful. I just really enjoy it a lot. And uh, so with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.
I'm very excited to have Christian Della Huerta with us today. Christian, are you in mindfulness mode today? 